Riding into the future. And I thank you, the lovely and talented Milt Keynes, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Fusebox. This is show number 18, Slipstream, and I am your host, Mark Rose. And it's a delight to have you aboard. So thank you once again for joining us here on this <laughs> overheated adventure. Is it hot enough for you? I mean... Can you smell that smell? <laughs> yeah, well, of course, where you're sitting right now, it's it's considerably better. I feel like smoked meat in here. It's... Bio jerky. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and you have to admit, this is a little ironic because just three months ago, you know, we were shivering like crazy. And uh, the, the story there, ladies and gentlemen, is that three months ago, uh, we had a water main burst underneath this here dwelling, and uh, it decided to take out the furnace on its way to the wherever water goes. Uh, <laughs> certainly wasn't down the drain. That's why we had five and a half feet of it. So, you know, there was a couple of months there where we just didn't have any heat whatsoever here. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, he put the little space heaters around and tried to do that. But, you know, it's hard to imagine now, right? <laughs> it's like, really? I can't imagine ever needing that ever again. Well, and don't you also find it peculiar that the, for some reason the human being has a very close tolerance for temperature? In other words, it has to be in a specific range to be actually comfortable. Otherwise, you put a lot of clothes on, you take a lot of clothes off, you do all that kind of stuff. And it's even weirder within genders. Genders have a huge range of differences. Are you saying women run hot? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I will say that some of the women that I've seen of your friends who are uh, uh, both running and hot, I don't know what that means. But are they running away from you or what? what I don't know. Uh, we won't go there. Yeah, they don't go there either. <laughs> <laughs> so... And I know that there are people around the country right now who, uh, because I think it's about 96 today, right now, as I'm recording this. It's about 106 in this booth, but it's about 96 out there. I think around the country, there are many people who are <laughs> suffering far beyond that. But uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, it doesn't usually start summer until July 4th. Up until that point, generally, it's pretty temperate, you know? Every once in a while, you'll have something weird, like right now. And you know the way I really know we're getting there? Uh, Japanese pocket squirrels, they get flat. When they get flat, then I know, oh, okay, heat's coming. They just lay there, kind of blink at you and make those horrible little noises like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that means, really, other than it's, they're uncomfortable, evidently. But they got an air unit up there. Yeah, so they're, they're very well taken care of. Damn straight, Skip. <laughs> you don't like them at all, do you? <laughs> ah! Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, it's fun. Hey, <laughs> I turned them into sock puppets. But first, I turned them into socks. Ooh, well, they may, they may go around on you on that. You'd have to catch them. So, uh... I gotta say, feeling a little puffed up right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, got your thumbs in the suspenders, that kind of thing. Feeling a little bit like that prairie chicken right now. Yes, sir. 
got reason to feel that way. And uh, why, pray tell, would that be, Mr. Fancy Feathers? Thank you for asking. There is a magazine published uh, all over the place, I would suspect. Probably even an online version of this thing. For those who uh, follow such things, now I don't subscribe to this thing, but I read this little article that detailed it and uh, thought it'd be fun to pass along. The magazine is called Beer Connoisseur Magazine. That's right. I didn't know there was one either. Some pretty highfalutin folks sit around and drink beer all day long, I guess. And uh, Sounds like a good job to have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Sounds like a very good job. But um, then they, you know, write about it and probably travel to exotic locales and drink more of it and write more about it and then try to climb on that plane and go home. But uh, they put out a, uh, a questionnaire among the readership and some rather lofty members within their ranks to judge the best beer city in the world. Now, that, that's an important underscore there. The world, not just the eastern seaboard or something. The world, not even North America, just the world. And ladies and gentlemen, what do you suppose came back? That's right. Portland, Oregon was rated the best beer city in the world. Really? Wow. Well, I gotta say, when I first moved out here, beer was not my go-to beverage. In favor of that pink fairy or whatever that crap is. Shut up. Just shut up. Eventually I did, of course, and was rather struck down with delight by some of the rather craftiness that's going on out here. There's craftiness going on in the beer world all over the country, but uh, there's some pretty creative people out here, and apparently uh, the aficionados here from Beer Connoisseur magazine felt the same thing. And now, you, you're you not a beer guy. Yeah, I'm kind of a bourbon guy myself. Yeah. Although, I do like that... Uh... Adam stuff by Hair the Dog. Oh, that's right, you do. Yeah, and uh, um, um, what's his name? Uh, Alan, uh, yeah, uh, Alan Alan Sprints. He's the guy who uh, has a company out here called Hair of the Dog, which also kind of neatly dovetails. Thank you, dovetails into this. Um, he created this uh, beverage uh, several years ago called Adam because he names all his beers after proper names like Fred, and Ruby, and Adam. And uh, Adam evidently was based on a recipe that's like 700 years old. I mean, it hasn't been made since, you know, like the Hun invasion or something. <laughs> something crazy. But whatever it was, uh, he, he uh, resurrected it. Uh, having a background as a chef kind of helped. And uh, this thing is an amazing beverage. I, I, I think yeah, it's... Yeah, that stuff is pretty much a meal in itself. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what, what it was a couple of times for you, huh? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, so, again, another uh, large aficionado in the beer world, actually in, in adult beverage world himself, the late Michael Jackson. No, not that guy. Uh, the other Michael Jackson. Uh, wrote a, a, a series of books on, you know, wine and beer and scotch and all that stuff. And in his beer volume, he gave Adam a 98. There may have been two other beers in that 600-page tome that had 98s. 
It really is good stuff. They call it bottle conditioned, which means they do the, the typical process with it. Then they, then they let the beer actually ferment and colorize and do whatever it does in the bottle itself. So consequently, there are little things growing around in the bottom there, which are fine because they just add to the, the granularity of its taste, one might say. But it, it, it tips the scales at about, he says, it's like 8.5. I says... It's closer to 10 or 11. This is going beyond barley wine, man. <laughs> it's like way, this is way out there. So, you know, congrats to the city of Portland for this particular accolade, which is, you know, pretty cool. I got to say, it's a nice thing because, you know, this is this this town is getting a, a rep for being... Uh, a rep for Portlandia. Yeah, I know, but that, you know, that's not a rep. You know what that is? That's what happens when a bunch of New Yorkers write about Portland irrespective of the two other people who are from Seattle. I'm sorry. It's just, you know what I'm saying? That Lauren Michaels, please. He's from, from New York via Canada. So I, I rest my case. All right. So uh, apart from that, something even more interesting. This. That is the sound of the Onsug guide. Did you know that? Let me replay that. This is a marvelous little tome, folks. If you have not picked this up yet, please do yourself a favor. I don't know of any volume of radio memorabilia or anything like that. There's never been anything quite like this. We know there's nothing quite like the Overnight Scape Underground. We know that anyway. That's why everybody is making noises about it. But to have this book that uh, Frank Edward Nora put out, the founder of the Overnight Scape, the curator, if you will, of the uh, Overnight Scape Underground... Uh, where he has compiled a, a list of every single program uh, since the inception of this here channel almost 13 years ago. Everything's listed, even yours truly. And I just came to this party. So I, it's like, this is pretty amazing. What's great about it is inside, there's a list of all the episodes of everybody's show, you know, by name and alphabetical and all that kind of good stuff, and a little checkbox there. So you can tick it off when you've heard it. I think that's very cool. And also, uh, you know, a, a back, some backstory so you actually know how all this stuff happened. I didn't know half of the stuff that's in there. I found that very intriguing. So, uh, and again, you know, folks, it's eight bucks. <laughs> it's like, how many pages is this? Uh, God, it's like almost, yeah, it's almost 200 pages. It's a great little volume to add because really in terms of, of, of internet history like this, well, we're all part of it now, aren't we? Because we have something tangible to show in addition to the productions that we've all done. But still, this is really quite a, a remarkable little tome. And uh, it's available on Amazon for like eight bucks. So, you know, snap it up. <laughs> Help the cause for crying out loud, you know? And speaking of causes... I'm going to get all the shameless plugs out of the way right now. We have opened the Fusebox store... It's just got a bunch of fun cover art that's being plastered on all sorts of things all over everywhere. And uh, I would really love and invite you to check it out and uh, see what you think. Maybe even buy some crap. It's actually a delight to do. We're having, we're having fun with it because it's allowing us to do some things that we, um, we've been talking about for a long time. And uh, they'd be fun shirts or mugs or whatever. And, so, and I urge you to uh, check it out. And, uh, Mr. Keynes, would you give them, please, the formal address? You are such a slave driver. Yes, I am. 
You got to earn it somewhere. That's Zazzle.com forward slash Fuse Audio. F-U-S-E-A-U-D-I-O. Thank you kindly. And, uh, and thank you kindly. Should you stop by and do that, I, I would appreciate it. Milt would appreciate it. He's still sitting in his underwear. Put some clothes on that guy, really. When we return, I will tell you how you can get a marvelous trinket from the Fuse Box store absolutely free. How about that? I bet. Huh? Okay, we'll be back. Don't be that guy. So let's hear it, your blockbuster film idea. Impress me, dazzle me, and go. Okay, okay, here it is. Picture this, okay? A buddy road trip, rom-com, horror, sci-fi picture. Okay? Huh? It, it takes place in the future, yet it's a version of the future from the past, okay? <laughs> see? And, and, then, and then there's a monkey, see? Huh? Okay? Because, you know, monkeys are cool. Monkeys are hot. Monkeys are hip. Everybody likes monkeys. I like monkeys. You like monkeys, right? Huh? Okay? Yeah, a monkey. And the monkey talks, okay? Yeah, <laughs> the monkey talks, but he speaks in Spanish, because Spanish is cool, Spanish is hot, Spanish is hip. Everybody likes Spanish, I like Spanish, you like Spanish. Okay, so it's a buddy road trip, rom-com, horror sci-fi picture with time travel and lots and lots and lots and lots of flashbacks and a Spanish-speaking monkey. <laughs> and it stars, ready for this? <laughs> ready for this? Are you ready? <laughs> okay, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Kim Kardashian and Adam Sandler. <laughs> Do you love it? <laughs> Do you love it? I love it. Don't... Oh, no! I sure wouldn't want to be the janitor after that, though. Mm-mm. By the way, folk, we've had some responses to my request uh, a couple of shows back for... Further suggestions for Don't Be That Guy, Don't Be That Chick, and uh, we've gotten some. And I think what's going to happen is uh, we're going to, well, I'm not. We'll get you to do it. What? Now I'm the lovely Carol Merrill now? (laughs) You you got enemies anyway, right? (laughs) Just add to the list. (laughs) Oh, thanks, buddy. Really? Oh, man. So so, um, we'll get uh, the lovely and talented Milt over there to pick... A couple of them, you know, that we've uh, pre-selected as being uh, doable. And uh, those lucky recipients will receive something wonderful and marvelous from the uh, Fuse Box store. So, gentle listeners, I want to do a little digging in the dirt right now. <laughs> That's very good. Nice, nice pick. What they pay me for, man. Well, whatever. You're a Cracker Jack FX snooter if there ever was one. <laughs> That's very nice. Um, to start all this off, um, in, in preparation for a, um, a, a segment on the Overnightscape Central from uh, a few days ago on comedians, I was putting some stuff together and uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Ernie Kovacs, more than just Ernie Kovacs, about destruction of historical media that's been going on for some time. May I also say, if you haven't heard that show, the comedian show on Overnightscape Central, go go check that out. I, I think pretty much everybody from the channel is on that, and everybody has something incredibly great to say, and uh, it's a really good show. It runs almost four hours, so uh, you'll want to take it in doses, maybe. 
But uh, in any case, so I'm, pre- I'm preparing this thing. And uh, at the same time, I was corresponding to another colleague here on the uh, channel, uh, Jimbo. And we got to talking about this and that. And, and he said, uh, well, you, know, you want to check something out, uh, check out the, the Vic and Sade website and scroll down to the bottom. And by the way, if you don't know about Jimbo's Vic and Sade website, uh, you need to check that out, vicandsade.blogspot.com, an amazingly and lovingly curated website of Vic and Sade radio material. Now, if you don't know who Vic and Sade is, and that's not surprising because I didn't, this was a radio show that premiered back in the early 30s and, and went pretty much into the 50s. It's a very special show, and the early shows in particular are about 15 minutes long. What I would suggest is listen to one or two, and you, you'll get the joke. You'll see what's going on there. This is some of the finest comedy writing in radio. Uh, seriously, Paul Reimer is amazing. It, this is great work. Anyway, so we were talking about this, and he said, yeah, check this out. You know, this little link there, and there's a little piece of audio connected to it. So I click on it, and I listen to it, and it's with Bill Idelson, who who played one of the kids. I don't know if it was Rush or Russell. I don't remember now, but one of those guys. And he's detailing a rather dark period in the uh, Vic and Sade history, which doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is that the destroyers of this material was the sponsor themselves. Take a listen to this. Uh, NBC made recordings of every show, and Procter & Gamble made their own recordings, as I understand it unless they got the NBC recording. So all these shows were recorded. But then one terrible day that will live in infamy, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Procter & Gamble decided to uh, destroy all these Vic and Sade records. So they destroyed 10 years of Vic and Sade records. And, of course, this was the days before tape recorders, and so a private... People didn't uh, record the show until very late. And uh, I think one of the greatest crimes of the century was the fact that uh, the recordings were destroyed by Procter & Gamble. And I think that, that that makes me burn every time I think of it. I think this was short-sighted and it was absolutely unforgivable. That's an early first of that technique. I mean, I'm sure it was duplicated later, but early media being destroyed by sponsors, that's... Yeah, because usually what happens is what happened to Ernie Kovacs, and that is his material. And if you don't know Ernie Kovacs, check him out. You can find him on YouTube. He's all over the place. But uh, this guy was a pioneer of early videotape on television. He did some things with videotape that by today's standards look really pedestrian. But by 1955 standards uh, were pretty groundbreaking and downright hilarious. Very surrealist as well. He played with those edges. And uh, I was just completely enamored with this guy. I just thought this was the most amazing entertainment ever. I was quite young, but I think that's the reason. Because his comedy sort of appealed to to the child mind. And uh, even though you, you might not understand the reference points for a lot of the humor, somehow you got it. A lot of his work was taped over by the network used again, no one ever thinking that this would ever be of any historical value or whatever, and who's this Ernie Kovacs guy? What do we care? Yeah, lost. And then, you know, it's not just television. It's I'm sure we could have a nice chat with Robin Hardy about his film The Wicker Man, which uh, in the director's cut of it, you know, was considerably longer. 
a lot of those bits were apparently destroyed or and or buried under a highway in the UK somewhere. At least that's the way the story goes. Every print of that movie that, that I've ever seen has attempted to restore it. And every time it does, you can tell that the quality of the, the bits that they found weren't the original bits. They were somebody's 16 millimeter, you know, work print or something. And even Doctor Who, you know, you know, and this has been going on forever. Irving Claw, who was the, I guess you could call him a cinematographer, certainly a producer of the early Betty Page films. You know, by today's standard, Betty Page's notorious work is really quite tame. You know, it's just, it's filled with almost childlike innocence. And yet, at the time, this guy lost his career, his business, and ultimately his life as a result of this uh, moralistic parade to destroy this evil material that was polluting the precious bodily fluids of the American public. And oh, please, can we please have that and we'll look at it later. Luckily, his sister was not stupid and she squirreled away all the original negatives and thankfully that's why we have pretty pristine restorations of Betty Page material. I mean, this just goes on and on and on with this this sort of moralistic attitude. of. Hey, wasn't there a comment by Rex Reed on this? Uh, yeah, and if I can just, yeah, absolutely. And if I can just paraphrase him for a second, you know, and uh, God forbid I'm going to paraphrase Rex Reed, but I, here's the deal. He said, this was like in 1967, somewhere in there. He said, because this is what was happening back in the day with all of the, this chest pounding about morality and stuff. He said, you know what? And he was talking about the, the ratings bureau at that time. You have, a, you have a scene with two people in, in bed and they're having their way with one another and all of a sudden this strange serial killer enters the room and chops them all up and flushes them down the toilet. Well, that gets an R. But just showing two people enjoying the pleasure of each other's company, well, that gets an X. What kind of message does that send? It's just bizarre. Thankfully, there have been folks like Criterion and uh, a friend of mine who uh, <laughs> probably gets very little cred for this, really. Uh, I mean, and, and to call him a friend is sort of a, a stretch. He, we've communicated many times on email, but I respect the guy so much and, and the work he's done. Uh, his name is Don May, and he has a company called Synapse Video. And he started this company in the early 2000s. He, he and a former partner started Elite Video, which was a videotape company that was a laserdisc company. It was, yeah. So he broke off from all that, started his own thing. One day, I, I'm leafing through the DVD shelves there, and I see this film. And I'm thinking, what? That's impossible. And so I read the back, and it's like, my God, it's got a wet gate transfer, and it's got all this stuff, and it's been restored, and it's all, what the heck? So the movie was William Green's The Brain That Wouldn't Die. And it was also a film that would show up a lot in, uh, you know, the, the Saturday afternoon or Friday night horror film blocks on television. But every time it showed up, it showed up a little different because somebody would cut and trim and whatever. Because the last eight or nine minutes of this film are pretty brutal. They really are. Even by today's standards, <laughs> they really are pretty brutal and, and, and a little lurid on the side. So when Don got a hold of this thing, he, he restored it completely. And uh, evidently, Green was still with us at that time, provided him with the inner negative. 
<laughs> so he, he got everything and, and did a wet gate transfer, so, which it's basically a process where they, uh, they take the film and they immerse it in a chemical bath. And uh, the chemical uh, tends to seal up all the imperfections in the film, seal up the scratches, and really improves the overall quality. And then, then they make the transfer. And I swear it looks better now than it did when it first came out. It's just amazing. And you wouldn't expect to do that with a film of this sort. And that's what I asked him. I said, well, I actually said, thanks for doing this. And he said, well, you're welcome. But man, I don't know if I'm going to be around next year because we spent so much on this. I'm only going to run, you know, 2,500 copies of it because I just don't know that anybody's going to care. Well, it ended up being one of the most popular titles in the Synapse Library and the rest is history. It's a very successful company for Don, and uh, he continues to do things and make people irritated by uh, pulling out all sorts of things. But that kind of dedication to restoring things that not everybody's going to think worthy of restoration, <laughs> I really applaud that a lot and uh, really give... Hey, hey sorry. Um, have you seen a bag of capacitors? I had, uh, I had them stashed back here. They were like a military-grade variety, and I can't find them anywhere. Um, no. No, I haven't. Well, you know, and as a general rule, I don't go poking around in that stuff. You say uh, it was in a bag or something? Well, I had them laying in this box with a lot of other components, and now I can't find them or the box. Huh. No. I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't say I saw it or them, but you know what? Um, speaking of, speaking of strange, I, you know, I got one of those, uh, we tried to deliver messages today, you know, from UPS. Did you, did you order anything? What? From UPS? No, not me. Lord knows you're not buying anything lately. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure, buddy. My, uh, discretionary income has become involuntarily unavailable of late. So, yeah, I, I don't know what this is. Um... I think they're attempting to re-deliver tomorrow, so, you know, we'll see. Huh. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, Spotlight on film. Spotlight on film. Oh, dear friends, have I got a, well, gem for you here. This particular film was thought dead for at least 55 years that I can remember. And uh, this thing came out in 1961 and starred John Agar as an unfortunate scientist researching a nerve gas variant that ends up turning him into this stone-like creature Reminiscent of uh, the Thing character in the Fantastic Four. And uh, he's parading around town in a trench coat and fedora, touching people and killing them instantly. <laughs> now, if that doesn't get you, I don't know what will. <laughs> this is one of those movies that, when I was growing up, there were always stills in the pages of famous monsters of Filmland of this film. And 
It never showed up. Anywhere I ever lived, I never saw this film, but I always saw these stills, and I thought, man, that looks amazing. Here's this guy, you know, he's, his face is like 12 sizes too big, and his hands are all puffed up, and he, he does. He looks like Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, that Thing character. 20th Century Fox Archives uh, has been sitting on this for quite a while, and they released it this year, finally to the shock and amazement of many of us who thought, of course, it was gone. But this exists in a uh, print-on-demand variety from uh, 20th Century Fox. So, you know, you order it, they make it for you. (laughs) There it is. What I got to say is that the soundtrack to this thing is amazing. It's by Sonny Burke. And uh, if you like the work of Fred Katz, who did the music for Little Shop of Horrors by Roger Corman, that sort of brassy, jazzy, you know... This guy took it to the bank. It, uh, he, he actually implemented a theremin in, in parts of it. And even though I think he only wrote maybe five cues for this whole thing, it's only a 60-minute movie, so it was clearly a grade Z B picture. Just to watch John Agar parading around in a trench coat and driving cars and taxis and, and touching the random person to turn them ashen and then all puffed up is a pretty ambitious little movie for the time. And the, and the other thing that impressed me was the cinematography. It's actually very good. Uh, that rich black and white, it looks fabulous. So they, <laughs> again, here we are. They did an outstanding restoration job for a film that probably would be interesting to about a thousand people. <laughs> thinking. But uh, thoroughly enjoyed this one. Uh, Hand of Death. Again, it's on the... Uh, 20th Century Fox archives, and, uh, you know, you could do worse. It's Timo's World. is really cooking. It's time for the Happy Cooker. Here's your host, Helena Handbasket. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much. Thank you, and welcome to the Happy Cooker. Our very special and wonderful guest chef is a bell ringer from Erie, Pennsylvania. Please welcome Timo! (laughs) Welcome, Timo. Welcome. It's so wonderful to have you on our show. We are all in for such a wonderful treat today. Timo is here to show us how he prepares his family favorite recipe, roadkill stew. All right, yes, doesn't that sound wonderful? So wonderful, Timo, wonderful, just wonderful. Okay, let's step over to our kitchen, where we have everything set up for you, Timo. And I believe you're also adding a wonderful homemade bread, ground from yak pelvis. Is that right, Timo? (laughs) Then let's get started. (laughs) 
All right. First, you brown the roadkill meat with a little bit of melted earwax and paprika. Now, is the roadkill fresh or frozen, Timo? Fresh. Fresh? Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> And I see you're now adding fresh, mutilated vegetables. Onions, turnips, some sort of throbbing root, carrots, onions, Brussels sprouts, onions, more onions. Kale, mushrooms, onions. Garlic cloves, onions, oh, more garlic cloves, and onions. <laughs> the roadkill, which is a combination of raccoon, koala, and rat, correct? <laughs> Should be brown to a sort of grayish color. Wonderful. Doesn't that all smell wonderful, everyone? Just wonderful. <laughs> and be sure you pulverize the roadkill meat. Timo prefers using a rock. And include the bones. Well, that's right, Timo. Remember, keep the bones intact. Very important. Wonderful, just wonderful. Now, the yak pelvis bread was prepared beforehand and smells wonderful. So it's just about ready to take out of the oven. Timo prefers earthworm jelly for the bread to go with his roadkill stew, but dog butter or toenail sprinkles are also favored. So just have fun with it and create your own spread. And it looks like the stew is piping hot and ready. Oh, Timo, it all smells and looks so very wonderful. <laughs> oh, such a generous portion. Folks, Timo tells me his roadkill stew can feed up to 47 human adults. And best of all, you can freeze and reheat this dish over and over and over and over. And roadkill stew is packed with protein, high in fiber, and best of all, ladies, it's gluten-free. I say it's gluten-free. Gluten-free! Fuck it. What do you say, Timo? Shall we dig in? Bon appetit. Well, this is certainly interesting, huh? Um, even unusual. Roadkill. 
wonderful. <clears throat> Timo, <clears throat> wonderful. <laughs> but I think it needs ketchup. messages and coming up next world famous vegan chef femur shank will show us how to prepare his award-winning meatless poodle smoothie jesus does anyone have any mouthwash gum breath mints anything so on that appetizing note we will conclude the festivities here at Fusebox. I've been your host, Mark Rose, who um, could not have done anything without the participation and vocal virtuosity of Aaron Lane and Jeff Pollard on this edition of the program. And yes, but also to the lovely and talented Milt Keynes. Don't ask me to dance. I don't dance. <laughs> nah. Like I said, you're in your underwear. I'm not going there. You know what I'm saying? No. Yes, thanks, Milt, for technical session, audio production. Oh, and, and I promise I'll check into the missing parts thing. I'm, it's got to be around here somewhere. It's got to be, right? Yeah, I'd appreciate it, man. Really. My pleasure. And, uh, dear friends, please check out the Fusebox store. New things being added every day, pretty much. So give it a look and help support the efforts around here. And, hey, if nothing else, it'll keep the Japanese pocket squirrels in kibble. And believe me. They can put it away. Hey, you ever try feeding them some grape nuts? Probably file down those nasty little fangs of theirs. <laughs> uh, I'll take that under advisement. Just don't let them hear you say that, okay? You know what I mean? You know how they get. Do I? So, so dear friends, we take our leave. And until our next cartoon. Use box. <laughs> 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 <laughs>